0: This is Live at Politics and Prose, a program from Slate and Politics and Prose Bookstore in Washington, D.C., featuring some of today's best writers and top thinkers. Scalzi's lock-in introduced the brutal, riveting game of Hilketta, in which players wield swords and hammers to try and decapitate each other. The violence is real, but the players are threeps, robot-like bodies controlled by people immobilized with Haldens syndrome, so no one actually gets hurt. At least, that's the idea. The sequel opens with the shocking death of a star player, and as a pair of investigators piece together what happened, they reveal the dark side of the near future's most popular game, a side where the rules are still being decided. One of the major names in science fiction, Scalzi, awarding, pardon me, award-winning author of Old Man's War and Red Shirts, deftly combines a high-tech speculative landscape with the snappy dialogue and fast pace of a police procedural. Publishers Weekly said of the book, Scalzi expands his complex future with master strokes, balancing buddy cop rhinesth with thought provoking social and political commentary. This taut mystery filled with memorable characters in a well constructed world will keep readers on the edge of their seats. Please help me welcome him to Politics and Prose.
1: I don't need your pity. <laughs> so I got here a little bit early and I walked around because I've never actually been to this area before. I think it didn't, ex- didn't exist, like literally didn't exist until like last year or something like that. So, which is why it's not in the book. Um, and uh, I liked it, I, it's actually pretty nice. I went over over there and I had crab balls for dinner which is not nearly as dirty I discovered as it sounds. Uh, and uh, I you know, had a wonderful time. So I don't, I don't know if many of you know this, but I actually lived in the area for uh, a number of years back in the, the 90s, um, as I, I like to describe it, uh, back, when, um, back when AOL was Google. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And it reminds me when like, I would go visit Google, um, you know, and they'll give you a tour and they'll be like, and here's where we have our chef and here's how, where we have the masseuse and this is where you know we have the dog runs and I was like this is just like AOL in the '90s, and they did not appreciate that very much. <laughs> the one side effect of uh, of having the crab balls and, and hush puppies for dinner is that I'm now at the moment chewing gum um, because otherwise this front row would be assassinated by my breath so Excuse me for a moment, I'm about to do something I don't advise children ever do. That's seven years. Okay, I didn't know this was gonna be filmed, so I'm very excited. Everybody gets to see my sexy, sexy dad bod. This is why, by the way, middle-aged guys have these shirts because these shirts are dazzle camouflage, right? We know he's overweight, but we don't know by how much. Well done, me. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read uh, tonight uh, a couple of things. Um, I'm supposed to keep the reading and Q&A down to about an hour, and I've already burned four minutes of that. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and read from Chapter 2 of Lock-In, but then I'm going to read you um, at least one thing uh, that is brand new. No one's heard before except on the tour. Thank you for you guys. Um, and that will be uh, a, another short story, and then we'll, we'll ask questions, so be ready for uh, asking of the questions. If you don't ask questions, I will stand here awkwardly until we run out of time. That's fine. I'm used to standing awkwardly. So so let me talk a little bit about uh, Head On, which, of course, is the sequel to Lock In. Um, how many of you have not read Lock In? It's no shame. It's okay. We're, yeah, we're all, f- we're all friends here. Okay. Um, one, I hate you all. Um, <laughs> uh, and the second thing, I need to give you a background. In the world of lock-in, which takes place about uh, 20 or 30 years in the future, here in Washington, D.C., um, there has been a, a worldwide pandemic called Hayden syndrome. Uh, and it exhibited itself first by a fever and then by a uh, uh, meningitis-like symptoms. And then 1% of the population worldwide uh, is locked into their bodies their brains are working just fine but their bodies don't move one uh, percent seems like eh, it's an acceptable number but you begin to realize just how many people that is worldwide um, and a and a Uh, basically moonshot of technology uh, is used to help get people out of the brains with uh, neural networks which allow them to communicate with the outside world, the Agora, which is an online uh, world uh, that, thanks to the release of Ready Player One, the movie, I can tell you, is not unlike the Oasis. And you're like, oh, now I get that. That makes sense. Um, And then these things called threeps, which are android bodies um, that they pilot around. Um, And the Android bodies are really cool. And the first time you see them, of course, it's amazing. The, you know, 25 years on, they're just people who happen to use Android bodies. Um, One of the things, though, is that Hayden's makes the world different. You know, when 1% of your body, uh, 1% of your population is walking around in Android bodies, eventually um, that begins to shape culture. And one of the things that is created is Helketa. It's a Basque word. It means murder. Um, And it's a, and it's a sport where the the short version is you have 11 people on two teams. Uh, The uh, attacking team runs towards the defensive side of the field, rips the head off of one of the defensive players, then runs it back for a goal. And you can do that because these are android bodies. You know, they aren't uh, real people, so you don't actually have death and blood and, uh, you know, recrimination. But what happens as we start this uh, particular uh, book is that, indeed, um, one of the players dies on the field. Not supposed to happen, um, and yet it actually does happen. And when that happens, it happens at the worst possible time for the North American Helketa League uh, because they are having their last exhibition game of the year, They are trying to uh, get investors, including the father of the protagonist, Chris Shane, to invest millions uh, in both an expansion team here in the Washington, D.C. area uh, and also in new leagues that are going to be forming in Europe uh, and Asia. And uh, so as we start this chapter, I'm going to read you the second chapter. Um, This death has just happened. Uh, Chris Shane, who is an FBI investigator, who is also a Hayden uh, and had in the previous chapter been confused for uh, the wait staff, um, is now has called their partner uh, Leslie Van, who is also an FBI agent, and they are trying to figure out what happened. Chris was already there because their parents were being wooed and by the NAHL to be part of the new investment team. Um, and so when the death happened, they were right on the scene. So here we go, chapter two. Well, this is fun, Van said as she walked up to me. Around us, the corridors of the stadium were in chaos as league apparatchiks hustled would-be investors into the private areas for discussion. Metro crop, cops and stadium security uh, managed crowds shocked to learn about the death of Dwayne Chapman, who is the dead uh, player, and press members flitted everywhere looking for stories to file. Can everyone hear me, by the way? Okay. Are you caught up on the news, I asked? I heard about the player death on the way here. They did a live broadcast of the press conference. Did you listen to it? I nodded. Well, I did that between trying to get someone to talk to me. Are they shutting you out? They're not exactly shutting me out. They're just not paying attention to me as they run by. You need to be more forceful. I think I need not to be in an android body. That's an irony for you, considering where we are. The whole day has been like this so far, to be honest. I bet. Van stepped back to avoid being collided into by a hurtling apparatchik. Why didn't you stick with your parents? I'm sure there's somewhere in this maze being fluffed by a Hilketta League executive you could have listened in. One, that's an image I never needed in my brain, and I will make you pay for it. I said. Van did not seem impressed by this threat, too. I foolishly thought that someone might be actually willing to help out an FBI agent. Yeah, Van said. So why don't you try to locate your parents and find out what the League has been saying to them about this little event, and meanwhile, I'll grab one of these flunkies passing by and make them give me someone to talk to. I don't think I'll be able to find them in this place. Van stared for a minute. It's called a phone, Chris. She strode off in search of someone to threaten. I have no idea where we are, my mother texted back when I sent to her. I felt a moment of real, if futile, vindication at this, but not too far from the skybox, I think. I'll come find you, I sent, then looked down at the endless corridors. I remembered I was a trusted contact for my mother and pulled up her location on an internal screen. It told me she was at the stadium. Thanks, that was helpful. Hey. I looked up to see a young woman in a suit jacket staring at me. Yes? You were in the skybox earlier, right? I was. The young woman sighed in relief. I was told to gather everyone. Come with me, please. She beckoned me with a wave, and I was curious enough to follow. She led me to a small conference room that was jammed with the German, Japanese, and other potential investors, none of whom looked particularly pleased to be there at the moment. We're going to begin the investor conference in just a moment, the young woman said, and then slipped out. I looked around the crowd. Middle-level rich people looked the same wherever in the world they were from. These ones were mostly male, mostly middle-aged, and mostly looking like they shouldn't have to be here wasting their time. The door to the room burst open and a man walked in. He was the suit who had tried to give me his empty glass back in the skybox. I've met most of you before, but for those I've not, I'm Mackenzie Stodden, hen of NAHL Franchisee Relations, he said once he'd gotten up to the lectern set up near the far wall of the room. And today I want to thank you uh, for being with us at what is now one of the most successful preseason games ever. "'What the hell are you talking about?' one of the would-be investors asked. "'He was not Japanese, nor, I suspected, German. "'He sounded like he was from Jersey. "'You just had a player die on the field.' "'In the final moments of the game,' Stadden said. "'Prior to that moment, the game had the highest real-time "'and streaming numbers we'd seen for a preseason game "'and the highest number of Hayden View purchases "'by a significant percentage.' "'And then your player died,' Jersey said. "'Yes.' Stodden said, a tragic accident, which everyone in the league feels shocked and deeply saddened about. He said this in a tone of voice that registered neither shock nor sadness. I recognize the tone as one you would get out of a salesman of some really high-end product trying to close a deal, which I suppose was exactly what he was. Dwayne Chapman was admired and respected across the league, and in the league's season opener this Friday night in Boston, we'll be doing a special pregame segment to honor him and his career. But neither I nor the league wants this accident to overshadow the investment proposition Helketa offers to you as potential franchisees both here and in the international leagues we plan to create. How did the player die, someone asked, in what to me sounded like a Russian accent, which I will not try to do because then it will just sound terrible. Uh, The medical examiner in Philadelphia will be examining Chapman tonight, Stodden said. That's not an answer. You must already know. It would be irresponsible for me to speculate, and it would be irresponsible for me or anyone else here to invest in a league that will not share information. Stodden sighed. Look, he said, this is not something we want to see in the press, but Dwayne and his wife were having trouble, and he had taken to, well, I guess self-medicating is the euphemism we would want to use here. It had begun to affect his performance and preseason practices. He was given a warning, and we thought it was working. We may have been wrong. There is a difference between being high and dying during a game, Jersey said. I'm just saying it's possible his usage affected his physical well-being long-term, and we saw the results of that today. So the problem is him, not the league, someone else said, and it was impossible to tell whether that statement was meant to be sincere or sarcastic. The league has been in business for over a decade, Stodden said, and in all that time, with all the equipment and training we use, with all the product partnerships we have, we have never had a player die. We're confident that, as tragic, as Dwayne's death is, this is literally a glitch, an anomaly, and something you, as franchisees, will not need to concern yourself with as we move forward with expansion plans. So you want us to forget it ever happened, the Russians said. Of course not, Stodden said. We want you to have confidence that the League will investigate this tragedy and take steps to ensure it can't happen again. We will come out of it quickly, both stronger and better. What happened to Dwayne Chapman's feed I asked Pardon me Staden peered over to me and seemed momentarily confused at the appearance of a threep in the midst of his investors The players have a data feed that their physical stats uh, with their physical stats that streams through the entire course of the game including heart rate and brain activity I said when Chapman's threep was carried off the field his data feed disappeared just his and no one else's Your you're from catering, the Stodden said, recognizing me, sort of. <laughs> Actually, I'm from the FBI, I said, and suddenly every room locked on, uh, head in the room locked on to me, and I'd really like to know what happened to that data feed. Well, that was one way to get their attention, Van said to me. The two of us were standing around in a now-deserted private skybox, waiting for a league representative to come talk to us. I'd caught her up on recent events. I was just threatening peons to get higher up the chain of command, but what you did works too. <laughs> I think it's interesting that the starting character could simultaneously say they didn't, uh, he didn't know why Chapman died, and also blame him for his own death, I said. Well, you said his job was franchisee relations, right? Van asked. I nodded. Well, then it's not his job to tell the truth. It's his job to keep the money from bolting. I think I ruined that plan, I said. Yes, well, Van said, now you know why we finally have someone important coming to talk to us. The door to the skybox opened, and a man and a woman walked into the room. The woman came up to Van, smiling, hand extended. Agent Van, I'm Coretta Barber, NAHL Associate Vice President for Publicity. Van shook her hand, and Barber came over to me to shake hands as well. Agent Shane, this is Oliver Medina, General Counsel for the League. Shall we sit? She motioned to a small, round bar table. We sat. Barber turned to me. I understand you caused a bit of commotion at an investor meeting, Agent Shane. I didn't intend to, I said. I was just curious what happened to that data feed. You're aware that meeting was meant to be private and confidential, Medina said. Van jumped in. One of your own people led Shane into that meeting. I wasn't asked if I was an investor, I said. I was asked if I was in the skybox earlier. And I was. We know who your parents are. Or, excuse me, you know who Shane's parents are, Van said. You can't imagine they wouldn't talk to their own kid. Nevertheless, I expect you to treat the information you learned as privileged, Medina said. Well, you can expect anything you want, Van said. She turned to Barbara. But this is now an FBI investigation. Speaking of which, maybe you can explain why you were trying to cover up details of Dwayne Chapman's death by pulling his data feed. Well, of course we weren't trying to cover up what happened to Dwayne Chapman, Barbara said. We couldn't have covered that up. We were simply protecting his privacy and the privacy of his family. His privacy, Van said. That's right, Barber nodded. Forty thousand people in the stands watched Chapman die. Ms. Barber, no, forty thousand people watched a threep being taken off the field. Barber said, "It's not the same thing." You broadcast your players' heart rate and brain activity to eighty thousand people a game for twenty-nine ninety-five a pop. Van replied, "Or thirty-nine ninety-five for three games in a single day. If you could sell the data on when your players peed, you would do it." Barber frowned. I think you're making light of a terrible and tragic situation. I jumped in. What Agent Van is trying to say is that data privacy isn't something the NAHL has been very concerned about before. Well, I don't think that's accurate. I shook my head at this. I checked to see uh, whether the NAHL had ever redacted a data feed of a player before. You have eight years of Hayden View data available, and in all that time, you've never pulled a data feed. Well, we've never had a player die on the field before this. Is that the protocol? Van asked. Someone dies, you pull the feed? Is that in the NAHL bylaws somewhere? I would have to check, Barber replied, flustered. But my point is that once it became clear Dwayne was in trouble, it made sense to pull the feed. Van squinted at Barber. Why? Medina spoke up so that his family wouldn't have to learn that he died from a data feed, Agent Van, so that one of us could break the news to them, not a sportscaster or some random troll from the Agora. Van looked over to Medina. Uh Uh-huh. You don't seem particularly sympathetic, Medina said to Van. Perhaps you would have preferred some troll tell his mother or his sister. Well, if you were trying to avoid that, you could have just cut the feed from that point, I said, but you took down the whole feed, everything from the moment the game started. And, Medina asked, you had a player die. You had a live feed of data relating to his physical status. Then you took it down. Who knows what you've been doing to it since? Medina smirked, because we would tamper with data that people already have. No one's data feed but yours is official, I pointed out. Not even your broadcast partner's feeds. And no one has any data from after the moment you pulled it, Vance said. "Duane's death was an accident, Barber said. Yes, Van said, if only we had a verifiable data feed to help confirm that. But we don't, so we can't, which is why we're here, Ms. Barber. The minute the League pulled that feed, we had to assume something other than an accident. If you're suggesting that the League is in any way implicated in a wrongful death, we'll be stopping this conversation now, Medina said. Van turned to me. Look, it's a lawyer. (laughs) I actually knew that, I said. Mr. Medina, Van said, turning back to the lawyer, by all means, stop this conversation now. And when you do, I'll do what I do, which is to get warrants for every single bit of data relating to Dwayne Chapman's death, and also everything I think is even vaguely related to his death, which will be many things. I will also tell the Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia Police Departments to warrant up as well, and between the three of us, we will be very noisy about it, which I am sure is a thing that your league would love to happen right now while you're trying to keep potential investors who are already nervous about a dead player from bailing and taking their money with them. Barber looked appalled. Medina, on the other hand, just looked annoyed. He got it. Or, Medina said finally, or for starters, you can tell us why you actually pulled that data. Medina looked at Barber and nodded. She sighed. De- Deputy Commissioner Kaufman ordered it pulled, she said. I looked up the name. Alex Kaufman appeared in my vision, youngish. Why? Van asked because he's stupid Medina said and then held up a hand to preempt Van's objection I know but it's actually the truth he saw the feed realized Chapman was dying and panicked he ordered the technical director to pull the feed she wasn't happy about it but she didn't have any choice who is the technical director I asked Giselle Hurwitz Barber said is she here I think so she may be back at the hotel by now Van turned to Medina, and she will talk to us. I will let her talk to you, yes. And Chapman's data? What about it? We will need it. Why? Did you miss the entire conversation we just had about the potential for the data to have been compromised, Van said. We need our own people to look at it now, I said. We have to be sure, and we need to see what happened after the feed was down. I'm worried about it getting out, Barbara said. Van smiled. This is your privacy gambit again. Barber flared at this. Look, it's not just a line. The last thing we want is Dwayne's family to find this data feed floating out in the world with people speculating about it. So you're not going to put it back up, I asked. Barber opened her mouth, but Medina quickly put his hand on her shoulder to silence her. We will be returning the game portion of Dwayne's feed to the overall data set very soon. We can't certify the game stats Uh until they are in there. The rest of it, I feel comfortable keeping out of the public eye for now. We need all the data, Van repeated. Giselle will have it, Medina said. She'll give it to you, and you can verify it if you want. And Agent Van, yes. Later, if I see it out there in the world, I will come find you. All right, so that's that part of the reading. Hold on, i got to wake up my computer. Uh, There it is. It's awake now. Uh, What time is it? 7.25. I want to keep, I assume you guys will have questions, so I want to actually give us a a fair amount of time for the question and answer period. Um, So uh, I will do one more reading. And this reading, one of the things I like to do, because people come out on uh, weekdays when they have to go back to work and do other things uh, to come see me, is to basically reward you all with things that nobody else gets, right? Um, And uh, in this case, that means that I wrote a short story that I have specifically for this tour um, that hasn't been released anywhere else, uh, and nobody but the people who have come to the tour uh, have uh, heard it at all. So this this is special to you as my way of saying thank you for spending your, what day is this, oh my God? Wednesday. Tour brain is a thing, right? This is a, this is a real live actual thing, and this actually. So I've been on the on on the road for um, I think nine days now, and um, and uh, which is which is fine because last year um, I actually had a five week book tour, and at the end of the five week book tour, I just I I just didn't even know what my name was anymore. It's like people would I would sign, be signing people's books, you know, and I'd be like, "What's your name, Bob?" Okay, Bob, Bob, stay sweet, you know. And then what's what's the next book? What's your name again? It's Bob still. <laughs> Bob, too cool to be forgotten. <laughs> See you next year in class. So tour brain is a real thing. So I I have had those moments. I'm like, I don't even know what day it is. I mean, I think it's Washington D.C. So. If it's not Washington, D.C., just lie to me. Um, so, I'm going to give you a little background of the story. Um, so, imagine that there are aliens in the universe and they come to visit us as, as they would. Um, and they have this uh, pla- uh, intergalactic government, which they call the Intergalactic Federa- Federa- Federation. I always mess up that word Intergalactic Federation of Civilizations. And we're like, oh, that's so cool. Can we join your intergalactic Federation of civilizations? And they go, well you can apply <laughs> And so we apply, right We apply and we get our we do our essays and we get our our references uh, and we you know check the box for early action you know early decision uh, and and we wait by the computer on the day that we find out whether or not we actually get accepted um, and this is, their response to our application. (laughs) I haven't even started yet, sir. (laughs) You may be setting yourself up for some real disappointment, so I'm just, (laughs) okay. Regarding your application status, dear humanity, thank you so much for your application to to, to join the Intergalactic Federation of Civilizations, henceforth, abbreviated as the IFC, We regret to say that after careful consideration by our admissions committee, we are currently unable to offer you admission either as a full or probationary member of the IFC. Indeed, I have to confess there was serious consideration as to whether we should refer your application to the containment committee (laughs) as possible evidence of the need for a quarantine of your planet and sequestration of your species. But after a close vote, we decided simply to table the matter and move on. (laughs) I understand this news will come as a disappointment to many of you. While it is not the practice of the admissions committee to offer detailed explanations of its decisions to reject applicants, I understand that as this is your first attempt at an application, you may benefit from a few hints, tips, and pointers that will put your civilization in better stead if and when you should ever choose to apply for IFC membership again. So, in the spirit of helpfulness and to give you something productive to do with your time, here are some of the reasons committee members gave for rejecting your application. Number one, you don't have a single viable planetary government. Seriously, you have... At least 200 political entities, all talking smack about each other all the time. It is tiring to hear you squabble. One of the committee members compared it to a nest of Vlendor in molt, which is a comparison you won't understand, but which means that you're basically all angry and sticky and unpleasant to be around. And even when the Vlendor are done molting, they're still mostly sticky, so take that as it will. Yes, we know about the United Nations, Come on, dudes, pull another one of our appendages. (laughs) You really need to sort this out amongst yourselves. Pick a government, any government. Well, not any government. Be choosy. Sweden's system seems nice. We're not telling you what to do, though. We know you have that oppositional thing going on. Just figure it out. Two. Somewhat related to point one, you folks still spend an unseemly amount of time killing the hell out of each other, which strikes many of our committee members as a really bougie thing to do. (laughs) I think these particular committee members may not actually have a good grasp on what the term bougie means in this particular case, but I think the basic concept comes through. It is not a great look. If you can't control yourselves at home, how can you be trusted out there in the universe and so on? Have you ever tried not killing the hell out of each other? (laughs) Maybe give it a spin. You might like it. We know you're really good at coming up with excuses for why you just really need to kill the hell out of each other, but I have to be honest. We don't grade on a curve with this one. Three, also, your various bigotries, hatreds, inequalities, blah, 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 blah. Jeez, you people are terrible to each other. Until you get over that, no one's going to want to hang out with you at parties if you get my drift, and I think you do. Look, I don't mean to belabor the point, and I know you all really hate being lectured, but you all also kind of have cosmic moral halitosis, and it's just not polite not to tell you. Get some gum if you get my drift A lot of gum Like a pallet of gum I know, I know, but come on Number four Okay, so this one's a little confusing But uh, one of the committee members says That you have produced far too much plastic And another says that you have not produced Nearly enough of it The gift of it is is that you're, you're doing plastic wrong Pick which way you want to go on this one And get back to us Number five, you may wish to stop beaming your television shows into space. They are not putting you in the best light. (laughs) For example, one of our committee members said they must be punished for what they did to Gilligan. It was pointed out to this committee member that, one, Gilligan's Island is a fictional television series, and two, that it being employed as a shorthand for alien civilizations not understanding the concept of television series was so overused as to be both trite and offensive. To which the committee member said, oh, did I type Gilligan? Sorry, I meant Jillian. They must be punished for wasting Jillian Anderson in those last two seasons of the (laughs) X-Files. Which is both fair and accurate. Six, your sports make us angry and confused. A small list of specific problematic issues for us include the two-point conversion, the designated hitter, why there is no relegation in major league soccer, why the WNBA is not more popular, the entire sports of cricket and Australian rules football, how rhythmic gymnastics differs in any relevant manner from dancing, And why curling is not just called Frosty Shuffleboard. (laughs) Fix all of these, please. Seven. Your decision to declassify Pluto as a planet is deeply offensive to at least a couple of committee members who hail from icy planets. While one of these committee members would be satisfied with the recommission of Pluto as a quote-unquote real planet... Another one requests that you also launch Neil deGrasse Tyson into the sun, both for being the instigator of the removal of Pluto, but also for, and these are their words, being so damn literal on the internet all the time. I will note that per point two above, this committee member speaks only for themselves and not the entire committee on this matter, but yeah, Neil should maybe lighten up here and there. (laughs) Number eight. You should floss more. (laughs) When I asked the committee member who made this complaint to whom this was directed, they simply said all of them and refused to say anything further. However, this complaint was endorsed by literally all the other members of the committee. So, well, there it is. Also, we mean... Really floss not just sort of swipe at your teeth. You have to get under the gum line people You know, it's true, right you go to the dentist it's like have you been flossing of course I have No, really have you been fl-? yes, I have no really all right you caught me out I just hate it Uh law, number nine this line item is a grab bag of things we want for you to consider uh, and in no particular order be kinder to each other, feed the poor, stop heating up your planet, hydrate, exercise a little more, eat meat a little less, put out Half-Life 3 because we think that story is hilarious. <laughs> Give George R.R. R. Martin a break on his writing schedule. Canonize Prince David Bowie and Janelle Monet. More pictures of pets on the internet. Sell Lin-Manuel Miranda on Hamilton 2 The Quickening. Tell your friends and family you love them, and for God's sake, stop electing so many exasperating, venal, and greedy people. It's really not a great long-term plan. (laughs) Ten, finally, you should be aware that humanity was not the only group from Earth petitioning to be let into the IFC. We also have applications from the cetaceans, the corvids, and a joint application from the cephalopods and the Blatidaeans, where the octopus and squid handle the oceans, and the cockroaches and termites deal with the land. I have to tell you that each of these applications got a lot further along than yours. (laughs) And not just because they are neither actively warming up the planet nor wasting the talents of Gillian Anderson. (laughs) Maybe... You humans should look at what they're all doing right. Or don't. We're not the boss of you. Just don't act surprised and upset when you're ruled by whales, crows, and cuttlefish. You can't say you weren't warned. So there you are. Incorporate these findings into your next application uh, when the IFC opens up for another round of submissions in about 1,200 of your years. Hope you're still around then. Good luck. (laughs) Sincerely, club munsub admissions committee head ifc i mean i mean because you know that it really is how it's going to go it's like do we have to let them in do we really no do we no really do we can't we just can't we just tell them the party's over here That's pretty much how that's going to be. Okay, so now we're going to go to question and answer time, uh, which uh, often is the most amusing part of these things. Um, And here are the rules, as I like to describe them for you, so we all have a grounding on on how this is going to go. You can ask me anything you want. You can ask me about the new book. You can ask me about other books. You can ask me about upcoming books. You can ask me about the uh, upcoming uh, television and film adaptations of works. You can ask me about... Uh, publishing and writing. You can ask me about politics, you can ask me personal questions, you can ask me about burritos, or churros, or cats, sir, it's not that bad. <laughs> He's like, no, don't know and ask him about the burritos. Which means, of course, someone will ask me about burritos. They asked me about burritos last night, I went on for 20 minutes, so be prayer. The first three rows will get wet. Um, but, so you can ask me any question you want and I will answer. Sometimes the answer is, I can't believe you asked that question. You are a terrible person. Leave now and never come back. So if these are understood as the uh, ground rules for this discussion, who has questions? uh, Raise your hand, and she will come find you with the handy dandy uh, microphone. Okay. first question,
0: uh, general question. When you're you're a science fiction writer, how much do you do research on the science for your writing?
1: well, a fair amount, but th- but it's all very diffuse. I should note that before I was a science fiction writer, I wrote a lot on science. I have an astronomy book, uh, which is called "The Rough Guide to the Universe." Um, the last update was 2008, so it's vastly out of date, and I have no time to update it. But I did do that, uh, and I wrote science. Uh, I wrote science-related articles um, as a journalist and as a freelance writer for basically a decade before I wrote science fiction. So I have a pretty solid grounding in science generally, and then with specific things. I don't know if you've heard of this thing called Google, but it's kind of amazing, uh, and that you can actually go and find information on, on this network. is called the Internet, which is, again, fascinating. Uh, I recommend it to everyone. Just don't ever read the comments. Um, and uh, so it does make research actually super painless, whereas, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, uh, it, it would have been a lot more difficult. Um, So I have a good basic grounding in science, um, and then when I need to do a deep dive, it's actually really simple to do. Um, And I do have a philosophy of science as it relates to science fiction, um, which is that as much as humanly possible, you get what we already know about science uh, as correct as you can, and then extrapolate from there. So, for example, that is why there, in any of the books of mine that you read, there's no actual faster-than-light travel, because I very strongly believe that the speed of light is is actually a law and not just a good idea. And so, that being the case, I have to invent new ways to actually get around uh, the speed of light. So, skip drives, uh, the flow, all these other sorts of things that are uh, speculative, uh, that are that are not really bounded in science, but adhere to, well, you can't go faster than the speed of light, and you wouldn't want to because you hit things at the speed of light or near the speed of light, you go kablooey. Um, and so uh, that makes uh, it makes for better science fiction in, in my uh, in my expertise. And one of the things that I did uh, as part of my life experience is I was the creative cons- consultant for Stargate Universe. Um, and one of the things that I had to do is not all, every writer there was 100% down with the latest science so I would have to so you know when you go to a convention and they have this panel about Whatever TV show it is. Let's say it is Stargate universe and they would have been so in episode three of season one You said this happened and then but in episode seven of the second season uh, You contradicted it and I was just wondering why you did that is it because of your failures? um <laughs> And my job as the creative consultant was to be the nerd that kept that nerd from having his joy. (laughs) So, and most, and the whole point of that was, like, if you got the science right, then nobody would notice, and that's the way it is. But I would notice. Like, for example, if you ever go back and watch Stargate Universe, which you should, the two seasons of it were great. I know how it's supposed to end. I won't tell you. Um, (laughs) I love doing that. Um, But uh, so there's one episode where the, the ship, uh, the Destiny is the way it refuels is it goes and it basically drops you know a trough into uh, a star, um, and so the original thing is they had um, the uh, the Destiny doing a uh, gravity slingshot around a planet in the habitable zone of a yellow star, right? And this won't work because it's a G-type star, which is like we have, the habitable zone is, is basically 80 to 120 million uh, uh, miles away. Uh, and in the time that they had this, you know, for this episode, it just wouldn't have gotten anywhere. Near it. So in my notes, I was like, you have to make it a red star. It's going to work a lot better instead of a gravity, you know, or no, they were going to arrow break. And I said, instead of aerobraking because that's not going to work, it's just going to go. Um, you'll, you'll do a, a gravity assist to go you know, into the star, which precipitated a phone call from you know, uh, the producers. Like, do we really have to move the entire planet? You know? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's actually simple. You can do it. And so for that reason, if you watch the episode, the star is red, right? Um, and that's because I told them it has to be red. It's much closer to habit. You know Goldilocks zone is much closer It'll work much better um, and then from there they incorporated that into the whole thing It's like we always recharge at you know red dwarf stars um, and so like I said the the uh, Getting the science right does uh, is not that much effort, but um, the results mean that some nerd out there goes, doesn't get thrown out before the end of the episode or the end of the book or whatever. And that's the goal. You want them to get them through the entire entertainment before they go, wait a minute. Because huh? <laughs> if you get them through the whole thing, then they'll come back for the next thing. But, um, but you have to get them through it. If they break uh, their suspension of disbelief before that, it's, you, you failed. So Next question.
0: Hi. Um, so the three of us, uh, write, we're book bloggers, we write reviews, um, and part of our blog is that we pair books with alcohol. Okay. Um, and I think what, I think I told you about this when I met you at BookCon. You may have. Yeah. Um, so what we were wondering was if you could take, uh, several of your series. So it could be Lock-In, um, The Collapsing Empire and Old Man's War and, like, Pick what you think it would go with.
1: Okay, so here's the problem with that, <laughs> which is I don't drink alcohol. I just uh, I just never started, and at this point, if I drank it, I would become a spherical cow. So uh, <laughs> I, it's uh, it's simply something I have absolutely no experience for. And I will give you a a, a short story to re- that relates to this, which was a number of years ago. Uh, I. Um, Uh, I gave a friend of mine for Thanksgiving a really excellent 19-year-old scotch. And he was very excited about that. And he had some, and my wife had some. Uh, And my daughter, uh, who knows I don't drink, she says, aren't you at all curious? This is a very expensive sort of uh, alcohol that you gave him. Uh, And I said, it would be wasted on me because I literally have not developed the palate to tell the difference between really good 19-year-old scotch and carbonated iodine water. Right? I just literally can't tell the difference between the two of them. So it, it's not gonna work for me either. Same with like beers. I understand, you know, I, I can say, oh yeah, no, IPAs are really hoppy. I have no idea what that actually means. <laughs> they're so hoppy, they're so hoppy these days. Why do you know, I prefer a Lambic, you know, cause why not, they're very fruity. And I'm just like, in my, my, my brain is like, you're so full of it. <laughs> Um, so literally, I am the last person in the world who should be asked to do these pairings because I would be like, I would take Lockin' and I would pair it with uh, vodka and uh, a, a uh, hubba-bubba and, and a cat, you know, angry bubble cat. You know, <laughs> it's a great drink and I, otherwise yeah, I'm, I'm of no use to you and I apologize for that. How about food? Oh, God. And so le- let's, let's con- reconvene on that because we want to make sure that other people get questions in. So uh, anyone else? Raise hands. You. Yes, it. go. Um,
0: my question is: What are your thoughts on the decanonization of all of the Star Wars books because of the Disney purchase?
1: Oh yeah. Purchase? What my question, my thoughts on the decanonization? So the extended universe, basically, what where the extended universe now? It now exists as glorified fanfic because it wasn't like that before, right? <laughs> First, a philosophical statement, because I think this is important to lay out, which is that I believe in many ways that the the purchase of Lucasfilm um, by Disney was one of the best things to happen to the Star Wars universe. A controversial statement, I know, but I will explain why, which is that if you've watched the prequels, which don't exist, (laughs) um, then you'll know that they were not basically written with a generosity of spirit towards the audience, is the euphemism I think I wanna use there. (laughs) Basically what happened with them was George Lucas decided that he was going to tell a particular story and he was gonna tell it a particular way. uh, And if you got it, that was great. And if you didn't, oh well, right? Um, And and his own internal development of it was so internal, I don't think he actually told the actors, right? (laughs) Uh, about uh, what it was that he was planning uh, planning to do with them and he didn't seem like if you watch the the prequels as well it doesn't seem like he's having fun as a writer or a director I feel like in in many ways he, he felt psychically coerced to do the um, the prequels in you know, for various reasons um, and while people still went to them and people still uh, theoretically enjoy these films that do not exist um, ultimately they were a failure not of story or detail but uh, just lack of uh, lack of basically generosity to the audience. So when he sold it to Disney I I wrote I was like we will get a good Star Wars film out of this because Disney is this hideous corporate entity that will take over your life as much as it possibly can? But the way that it does it is by entertaining the hell out of you. And the way that they do that is by not being stupid about it. Um, you look at what they you look at what they do, um, and and their primary thing that they did when they did uh, the first uh, the Force Awakens, they were like. You know, they brought J.J. J. Abrams, which is like he was cloned in a vat to be the successor to every 70s director there ever was. Right? I mean, if you watch Super 8, that's his Spielberg. If you watch, you know, all the other stuff that he's done, he's, he's doing De Palma. He's doing Lucas. He's doing Spielberg. He's doing, you know, all these people, and you're just like, oh, yeah, you're very, very clever. But that's exactly what it needed. People wanted to get that Star Wars feel. They brought back the Kasdans uh, to uh, write the script They uh, so that they would have the interplay between the characters. The very first time uh, that Poe was, like, with... Um, uh, what, what's his name? The mask dude. Um, I'm blanking because Kylo. And he's like, who starts? You start? I start? You start? What do we, how do we start this? You know, I can't really talk to you with all this apparatus on. I'm like, okay, we're good. You know, because they talk like humans talked, as opposed to the prequels, which don't exist, um, because in those, they were all declaiming all the time, right? There was no actual dialogue, it was all declamation. Um, and so that's what Disney does. It, com- it has completely uh, reintegrated the audience into the Star Wars universe in that super aggressive Disney way that they also did with the Marvel stuff, right? They have done a tremendous job of just totally populating um, the, um, their, their fictional worlds with us, right? Um, and so uh, that being the case since they were going to do that and since they had to do it they had to break away from all the rest of what had happened before because in or you had to basically take what what George and Lucas Arts had done up to that point and do basically a winnowing now i certainly understand and sympathize with the, you know, everybody who's in love with the extended universe because there's some great stuff there. And one of the things that we are finding indeed is that it is some parts of it are slowly being reintegrated. Thrawn's back and he's pissed off as ever. You know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, and that was really great for Timothy Zahn. You know, Timothy Zahn is like the you know, they, they decanonize Thrawn. No wait he's back. I get to write him again. More books. Um so that's great for Timothy Zahn. Um but so honestly what will happen is they will use the extended universe as a, as a parts bin, right? Where they will pick the things that they like, they will reintegrate it into the, the new universes, but it's Disney's call. When you spend $4.5 billion to basically buy a, you know, a toy box, you get to choose which toys to play with. So let's take a couple more questions. Let's do some over here because we haven't done over here yet. Okay, we'll simplify the question a burrito to eat head on by a burrito to eat head on by what i don't even think that that sentence tracks in english sir so
0: Make the describe a burrito appropriate for
1: eating while reading head on i mean any burrito is a good burrito i mean this is that is that is the fundamental aspect of my philosophy of burritos any burrito is a good burrito and you know and some people will Wheaton, don't believe that that is the case Some people, well, Wheaton, are burrito prescriptivists, which means that some people, well, Wheaton, do not have joy in their lives. (laughs) Whereas I, as a burrito descriptivist, uh, very strongly believe that a, a burrito can be pretty much whatever you want to be, except that burritos, I mean, tortillas are the foundation of a burrito. If what's inside the burrito is meant to be warm, it's a burrito. If what's inside the burrito is meant to be cold, it's a wrap. It's that easy, people. It's just that simple. One last question back here.
0: Um, So half an hour ago, I tweeted, I got wildly drunk on a Wednesday and stumbled upon John Scalzi doing a reading. And somebody responded, no matter how drunk you get, don't let him feed you a burrito. And I would just like to understand the history behind this.
1: You poor woman, you have no context for any of this. So basically, you're just like, why do people care? What is it with burritos? Um, So all through my career, I have been associated with foods in one way or another. Back in 2006, um, I set the internet on fire by becoming the first human to actually tape bacon to their cat. Um, and so if you type baconcat.com, it will take you to that picture. Um, and immediately everybody gets out, they think. Uh, and um, and so people started sending me stuff about bacon. Then uh, churros, which I'm associated with, uh, with as well, which I think is great, because who doesn't love churros? Only people who hate life. Um, and then the thing with the burritos. See, what happened was basically... We have lots of leftovers and, you know, you have to eat them and then, you know, so uh, I will basically just put them all into a tortilla, wrap them up, nuke them for about 60 seconds and so it'll be like uh, General Chow's chicken, Munster cheese, mustard, it's a burrito. (laughs) Which is why I have the sexy dad body. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, dad bodies unite. No, don't let's actually unite, that would be... (laughs) This is a family show, Um, but uh, and so what I would do is then I would uh, so I would take these leftover burritos and I would take pictures of them and put them on the internet. You know, today's why because that's what Twitter is for, right? I mean, your choices on Twitter are angry, angry president or me with burritos. You make the you make the call. Uh, but I would put them up, and and of course, you know, because there are things that most people don't, un, you know, understand as should be in a burrito. Uh, they're like, what's wrong with you? You need help. The intervention is on the way. You know, all these sorts of things. And my friend Will Wheaton, who does many of the audio books that I do, uh, and otherwise is just yeah, he's a he's a pretty great guy. Um, like I said, is a burrito uh, prescriptivist. He very strongly believes that only certain things are burritos. Um, and he would have to explain that to you because quite frankly, uh, you know, I don't have that (laughs) narrow-mindedness. Um, and so he, he started just being very angry at me, you know, in response. He's like, violation of the Geneva Conventions, you're a terrible person, when I see you again, I'm going to slap you, all these sorts of things. And so now, whenever I post one of these pictures of the burritos, um, people run on Twitter, to go tell Will, 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 cook what he did now. There is now actually a Twitter account called Scalzi's Burrito, which I don't run, <laughs> where someone like puts, you know, today's burrito, Pez, you know, <laughs> a small rodent, <laughs> the entire works of Philip Roth, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and so they've kind of taken on a life of their own. So. Uh, f- uh, Will and I have gone on this cruise which is called the Joko cruise which I r- highly recommend for everybody to do. And uh, we did a we did a uh, uh, we did a panel where it was me and Patrick Grothfuss and Mary Robinette Cole and Will and for uh, for basically 30 minutes of the hour long Panel was the three of them ganging up on me about my burritos, Uh, and it was funny because we were actually in uh, Mexico. The cruise went down to Mexico, and so we stopped at this town called Loreto, where they're having a food festival, and some of the sea monkeys, who are you know, uh, what what the the people who go on the cruise call themselves went up to the restaurant. tours there and said, we have a quandary that we were hoping that you could solve for us involving burritos. And they asked him, it's like, so John Scalzi does this with his burritos, you know, and is that okay? And, um, and they were like, look, <laughs> what he does in the privacy <laughs> of his own home is his own business. If he's only eating them himself, Fine. If he's serving them to other people, push him in front of a train, <laughs> and that's fine, right? For me, I'm not forcing them on anybody. You know, I'm not saying, "Here, would you like a bite of my burrito?" It's uh, uh, it's got a, a small rubber tire in it, you know, or something like that. I'm I'm only consider the only person I'm hurting is myself, uh, and uh, so. A couple weeks ago, I I actually went to the emergency room because I had chest pains because I've it it turned out to be indigestion But immediately, you know sympathetic that that Twitter is once I got (laughs) once I got out You know I tweeted I'm a I'm fine B. I was just in the emergency room because I had some chest pains and they're like burritos (laughs) It was the burritos. What did you expect? It's been the burritos all this time, so basically that's the whole story about the burritos it's mostly about people having fun on Twitter which these days they really need so I'm perfectly I'm perfectly happy to continue to make these strange agglomerations of, of food put them in a tortilla um, take a photo of them and have everybody run to tell will so there you go all right thank you everyone. I believe she is going to tell you how we're going to do the signing process, so I'm going to let her do that. But before I do that, uh, I do want to say one last thing, which is I'm here because the politics and prose people were very kind enough to give me the space. You're here because this bookstore is here. Um, they, uh, This is a brand-new place. Uh, it really would be uh, important to me that you support the bookstores that are local to you, they're independent, that they uh, make a difference in their community. So I'm asking you, before you leave here today, buy a book. Now, as it happens, my book is on sale, so <laughs> that's good. But even if you do not buy my book, buy a book here so that you can let Politics and pros know how much you appreciate everything they're doing for the community, for authors, and for you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for that. <laughs> Live at Politics and Prose is a co-production of the Bookstore and Slate.com. For information about upcoming Politics and Prose events, visit politics-prose.com. And please let us know what you think of this program. Our email is podcasts at slate.com.